Father in heaven, thank you so much that your watch care for us has been ever vigilant this past week. You've blessed us. You've been with us. You've guided us. Thank you, Lord, for the many blessings you showered upon us and help us ever to be mindful of every one of those blessings you've given to us. Help us not to forget, Lord, that we serve a great and wonderful God who loves us so much. And even now, Lord, you desire to bless us as we come to seek your word. I pray that you would lead us, that you would reveal to us the message that you've hidden in your word for us, that you speak to our hearts directly, Lord, and lead us now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Well, if you haven't noticed the title yet from the video, the title that we're, the sermon that we're looking at this morning is a really a question. Are you a wise or a foolish virgin? Now, the thrust of my message, the, 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 the push of my message this morning has come from an overflow of the reading of the 40 days of prayer book with my prayer partner, Musa. And uh, I've just been really enjoying the time together. We've been very consistent. We've only missed one day and we're trying to catch up, uh, but it's always difficult to do two sessions in one go. But um, God has been so good and He's blessed so much. I've been so blessed by the reading of this book and being able to pray consistently with one person every single day. And even though the 40 days of prayer isn't over yet, I just wanted to share with you the blessings that I received so far. Uh, quite a number of the quotes that I'm taking here, take, uh, show, showing to you today is taken from the reading. And I hope you don't mind, but you know, these quotes and these, this message has really stood out in my heart and my mind. And it's just made such a deep impression. And I just wanted to share that with you this morning. I wanted to start off with a quote taken from Signs of the Times this morning. Signs of the Times, August 6, 1894, paragraph 4. Jesus used the parable of the ten virgins to represent the condition of the church before His coming. And the question that concerns each one of us is, are we among the five wise or the five foolish virgins? And so this question really has given us the thrust of the message. That's where I get the title from this morning. Are we a wise or a foolish virgin? This is one of the questions that demands an answer, especially in the time that we are living in right now. And so before we get into that, let's refresh ourselves, our minds, by going to the Bible text that talks about the wise and the foolish virgins. We're not going to read through everything, but we're going to read through about half of the parable. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 12. Pardon me, 1 to 7. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 7. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So just for a sake of a quick recap, there we see ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. But they're all virgins. They all had oil in their lamps. They all had lamps. And they all slept while the bridegroom tarried. While he delayed to come, every single one of them fell asleep. 
The only difference that we see between these two groups is found in verse 4. The Bible says there, the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the vessel is separate to the lamp. The vessel is probably a soft vessel in those days, not a, a, a hard jar. They're not walking around with a jar. The lamp already was difficult to carry around, but the vessel was probably a, a soft little vessel that they could store extra oil in case they ran out. So the difference between the wise and the foolish virgin is the wise took extra oil and the foolish did not take extra oil. But at the time of waiting at that present time, all their lamps were trimmed and they were all burning. So they were all waiting in eager expectation for the bridegroom to come, but he never came. And at, at the time that they fell asleep, all their lamps went out. And so in order to light it again, the wise needed to use the extra oil from their bag or what, what, what we call here the vessel, right? Now look, in the book of Revelation, we see God's people depicted as a virgin. In Revelation 14, and more specifically, the 144,000, which is identified in verse 1. But in verse 4, it says that these, the 144,000, are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And so friends, the question that begs the answer this morning is even though in Matthew 25, all of them are virgins, not all of them are the 144,000. Because at the end of Matthew 25, those that were not let in because they had to go buy extra oil, they were too late, they went out into outer darkness. And so the question is, which virgin are we this morning? And more importantly than that, because the defining characteristic between these two groups is one had extra oil and the other doesn't. Now, we already know that oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. So when we're asking, what does it mean to have extra oil? What does it mean to have an extra portion of the Holy Spirit? I mean, how can we seemingly store up an extra portion of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? I mean, if we can do that, why not, why we all don't just do it now, put in the hard labor, get an extra portion of the Holy Spirit, right? So we don't have to worry ever again so that when Jesus comes, we'll be ready. So we want to know this because it doesn't seem practical to have this extra portion of Holy Spirit, but yet, what does that mean? How do we get extra? How do we store it up in a bottle, in, in a vessel, right? So, this really is the purpose of our study this morning, and I want to bring through you through some quotes with me as we study into this. Well, let's go to our first quote here, Review and Herald, August 19, 1890. The name Foolish Virgins represents the character of those who have not the genuine heart work wrought by the Spirit of God. The coming of Christ does not change the foolish virgins into wise virgins. And look at this. This is the part that kind of opened my eyes. This was in our reading. The state of the church represented by the foolish virgins is also spoken of as the Laodicean church. So look, the foolish virgins are those that are in the Laodicean state. They are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
And the quote, it says that they do not have the genuine heart work that is wrought by the Spirit of God. They don't have this genuine heart work. And that's why in Revelation 3 in verse 20, Jesus is seen knocking on the door of their heart. He wants to come in. He wants to sup with them and them with Him. And so the importance of genuine heart work here, heart work, is outlined very clearly. It is a heart problem. It is not something on the outside. Although we can understand externally what our heart is like internally by looking at those actions, the problem is the heart. Let's continue. Desire of Ages 668 paragraph 3. All true obedience comes from where? The heart. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, He will so identify Himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to His will, that when obeying Him, we shall not be but carrying out our own impulses. And I want to pause here for a second because you see, sometimes we feel like obedience, wow, it's, it's so difficult, it's so difficult. And the reason is because our heart is not changed. But we're told here in Desire of Ages that when we obey, when our heart is changed, we will simply be carrying out our own impulses. Like, that's who we are. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing His service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know Him, our life will be a life of what? Continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. Wow, what an amazing transformation that maybe some of us were having difficulty just comprehending. But we're told here that when this heart work is done in our lives, we will live a life of continual obedience. And that sounds like a high calling, something that we have to strive towards rather something that we actually become. You see, it's the heart situation. Continual obedience. That, my friends, is victory over sin. But how does that take place? She tells us we must know Him. We must know Him. How? Through the appreciation of the character of Christ and through communion with God. You know, friends, I want to remind you that the Laodicean church is just such. It is a church. They are in the church. They are not of other religions or different faiths. And if, if I could make it a bit clearer, <clears throat> they are Seventh-day Adventists. Let's not look at other churches of other denominations and think, oh, they are Laodicean. We're okay. Let's look strictly at our own church, our, the church that we attend. We are also part of this Laodicean condition. So the question that I should ask is, is not so much, are you going to church or are we participating in church? But the question really is, what is the drive and purpose of you going to church and doing all that you do when you go to church? Because you see, the Laodicean church is in church, but they're lost. They go to church, but they don't have communion with Christ. Why? Because we're missing this. Manuscript Releases, Volume 2, page 30, paragraph 1. Nothing but the baptism of the Holy Spirit can bring up the church to its right position 
and prepare the people of God for the fast approaching conflict. Friends, how to be in church and to be saved, how to be a wise virgin and not a foolish one, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and nothing less will do. Let's continue. Review and Herald, November 29, 1892. The work of the Holy Spirit is immeasurably great. It is from this source that power and efficiency come to the worker, and the Holy Spirit is the comforter as the personal presence of Christ to the soul. Friends, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to give us power, power to be a good witness, power to live a victorious life, power to live a life of continual obedience. We need that Holy Spirit because, as she says, it is the personal presence of Christ abiding in our hearts. So when we read uh, passages like Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, that is represented through the Holy Spirit. It, not really, it really isn't Christ, but it's His representative, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. And we need Him more than anything else. If the Holy Spirit is abiding in our hearts, it's because we have heeded the call of His knocking on our hearts to let Him come in and to sup with us, you see. But let's keep going. I just want to go through a few more quotes here. Selected Messages, Book of Volume 3, 198, Paragraph the sanctification of the soul by the operation of the Holy Spirit is what? The implanting of Christ's nature in humanity. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ revealed in character and the grace of Christ brought into active exercise in good works. Thus the character is transformed more and more perfectly after the image of Christ in righteousness and true holiness. Friends, the reason why holiness will eventually become a natural impulse to us is because Holy Spirit is abiding in our hearts. We need this transformation of character. We need to experience this true sanctification. <clears throat> sanctification is implanting Christ's nature in us. You see, friends, justification is such when we sinned, we confess our sins, we ask God to forgive us, but you know, the desire to sin is still there. The desire to want to do that which was bad, that we just confessed, is still there. When a person, <clears throat> let's say they do drugs and, you, you know, they, they know, they find out it's wrong and they ask God, God, forgive me. But when they open their eyes, the desire to still chase after drugs is still there. Justified, yes. Sanctified, on the way. Sanctification is God implanting His nature into our hearts so that eventually it's Christ living in me. My desires are different. My thoughts are different. My taste buds are different. My priorities are all different. Step by step, God is changing that and transforming that. That is sanctification. Justification is God cleansing us. Sanctification is the process in which God gives us a new heart and new desires so we don't keep going back to those old sins, you see. And that, we're told, is a work of a lifetime. But friends, this is the hard heart work that needs to be done today. This is what Christ desires to do for each and every one of us. And yet, we've gotten a little bit of a clue so far. 
But what is the difference between the wise and foolish virgins? Let's continue digging, shall we? Let's continue digging. Signs of the Times, August 6, 1894, paragraph 4. This is the quote I started off with. Jesus used the parable of the ten virgins to represent the condition of the church before his coming. And the question that concerns each one of us is, are we among the five wise or the five foolish virgins? Now, she says this. Without going into the details of the parable, we may ask ourselves, what? What is our condition before God? What is our condition? Those that were wise went into the wedding. We shall make it manifest what is our true condition by what? Our conduct and conversation. Friends, what is she saying here? We shall make it manifest what is our true condition by what? Two things, our conduct and our conversation. We can know whether we are wise or foolish virgins based upon our conduct, how we live our lives, our actions, and our conversation, the things that we talk about, what we say, what comes out of our mouth. And we studied this last night in regards to how we know whether we're giving good fruit or not, the fruit that God accepts. It's through also our mouth and praising God. Yes, friends, praises, very important. If you haven't given your praise yet, please, please share in the in the description in the chat there would love to hear from you but you know friends we can know whether we are wise or foolish virgins and some of you go can say oh well i'm just not that sort of person i'm just not that sort of person that likes to share but you know what there there are some things in life that would just be criminal if you didn't share like this past week one of our senior bible workers that's been with us for a long time. I haven't looked at the chat yet, but I hope that he shared that he got engaged this past Monday. That, I mean, if you don't share those sorts of things, there's something wrong with you, friends. Are you with me? There's something wrong. I mean, how, how can you not be overjoyed and, and, and just bubbling over with joy that you want to tell everyone, I got engaged. She said yes. Are you with me? Like, there are some things in life that happen to us that we just got to share with somebody. It's like when you play golf, right? And I haven't played golf in years, like 20 years almost. But, <clears throat> you know, when you get a hole in one, you just got to tell somebody. There are just some things that you go through that if you don't share, it's not normal. And I'm telling you, the goodness of God is always too good to just keep it to yourself, friends. But we can know whether we are a wise or foolish virgin based upon our conduct and our conversation. The things that we talk about and the way we live our lives. However, friends, there is a condition that is more deceptive with the foolish virgin. Let me show you this. This is quite surprising. This quote really took me aback when I read this. Listen to this. Christ's Object Lessons 411 Paragraph 1. Look at what she says about the foolish virgins. The class represented by the foolish virgins are what? Are not hypocrites. Let me read that first sentence again. I should have underlined it and bolded it and made it bigger. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth. But they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. 
the class represented by the foolish virgins have been content with a superficial work. They do not know God, and so their service, it degenerates into a form. Did you see this? The foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They, you know, what's a hypocrite? It's an actor. They say one thing, but they do another. You know, we, we focus so much on the Pharisees, like they're really bad in the Bible, right? When you, if someone calls you a Pharisee, they're not complimenting you, right? We talk about them so much as hypocrites. But you know what? The Laodicean church is not a Pharisee. The Laodicean church, in the Laodicean condition, they are not Pharisees. They are not hypocrites. You know, they have a regard for the truth. That's what they says. Let me show you the quote again. They have a regard for the truth. They advocated the truth. You know what the word advocate means? It means they support the truth. And they're even attracted to those who believe the truth. What am I trying to say here? You see, these sorts of people, they love Bible study. Oh yeah. They, they're happy to go to church. They, they are thankful for a good sermon. When they hear someone like Randy Skeet preach or Doug Batchelor preach or Mark Finley preach, oh, they're excited. They're there for the spiritual week of emphasis. They're there for, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be, friends. We should be excited for all these things, okay? They're supporting the, the, the Homeward Bound Bible Prophecy Seminar that's coming up. You know, they support, they advocate the truth. But what's the problem? What was the condition? Did you see it? They have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working and they've been content with a super official work. They don't know God and their service has become a form. You know, friends, when you don't know a person, everything you do for them is superficial. Do you know that? Let me give you an example, all right? What, what, is, what does it mean by superficial? Another word for superficial is fake. So when you don't know a person, all that you do for them is superficial. It's fake. And look, I'm not saying it in a negative way. It's like this. We should be kind to the person that's at the supermarket counter or the person that's at the petrol pump there. We should be kind to everybody. And being kind to them is not being superficial because we don't know them. That's our character, right? But many of us, the things that we do in regards to church is superficial because we don't know God. Let me give you an example what I mean by this. For example, a waiter at a restaurant, okay? When they serve you, they smile at you, they stand neck there patiently waiting for you to choose and go through your, your, the, the, the menu to choose what you want to order. And then they'll come out and they'll make sure they give you your food piping hot. You know, make sure that it's, it's not cold and, and the food is acceptable and if anything wrong, they'll bring it back and they'll bring you out another, right? They will serve you very well. But why do they do this? They don't know you. They don't, they don't, they're not smiling because they love you. They're not standing there because they're in love with you. They're doing their job. Are you with me? And we, we can be honest about this. This is pretentious. It's a work. You know, for those that are on customer service, they've got to be nice to those over the phone and, and be nice to them and try to smile at them and show them that they're, they're happy and they're patient, they're kind, right? But they're just doing this because they're getting paid. They, they want to be the best restaurant in town or on that street, right? They, they want to do it so that you will give them a big tip, whatever it is. All this is superficial at best. They are just trying to make a living. They aren't doing this because they, quote unquote, love you, okay? They don't know you. 
And so they aren't serving you with a big smile because they, they, they know you personally. Even if a, a, a Hollywood actor comes in or someone famous comes in, um, they will do it. Not because they even know that person, but because that person's famous and they're doing this to make a living. That's all it is. That's pretentious. That's superficial. And so it is with the foolish virgins. So it is with the Laodicean church. They're not hypocrites. They're not saying one thing and doing another. But what they do, it's all superficial because they don't know the God that they're trying to render service to. They're just doing this because it's a job. Or, quote-unquote, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? You know, and, and they do all the good things that a Seventh-day Adventist should do. They're at church on the Sabbath. They're participating even. They date and maybe have even married a Seventh-day Adventist member or a person. They're even vegetarian. They don't wear jewelry or they, 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 they're dressing modestly. But you know, let me address each of these things that are raised up with you because it can all be a form. It can all be pretentious. How? Let me give you an example. So the first thing I said, they go to church on Sabbath. You know what? I grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist home all my life. From the minute I was born, that first Saturday, I was probably in church. And I've gone to church all my life on a Saturday. It doesn't mean that I know what the Sabbath is or that I'm doing it because the Bible says that that's the correct day of worship. It's just become a habit in the way I've grown up. That's pretentious, right? It's a form. Well, how about marrying an SDA? Well, it's very simple. Maybe that's just your social circle. You, you, you know, you've grown up in the church all your life and so you're close to the friends there and you met a girl there that you liked. That was it. You ended up marrying a Seventh-day Adventist and you were a Seventh-day Adventist by accident. Not because God said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Are you with me? And it's not because you thought of ministry and you wanted to serve God together and to be a greater blessing. No, friends. We just sometimes marry Seventh-day Adventists, and I'm a Seventh-day Adventist because that's my social circle. And that's it. How about being vegetarian? Well, some people grew up that way, a.k.a. my kids, right? They're the best example. They're growing up vegetarian. They've never tasted any meat before. And even though, you know, you might have tried meat, but it made you sick, so you don't want to eat it, right? You might just be allergic to meat, not because you understand the health message or, you know, that you care about your body being the temple of God. You know, I, I met someone who couldn't even eat McDonald's or, or any junk food. They would break out with hives or pimples or, or, or some sort of, you know, allergy. So, you know, being vegetarian isn't always the reason of I follow Jesus and I know from the Bible the health message. These things can be pretentious. They can degenerate into a form even the way we dress. Maybe you grew up with good mums and dads that taught you that you should be modest, so you wear nice long clothing that covers you and no spaghetti straps, ladies, and no bras showing through your t-shirts and all of that, nothing too tight. And you know, this can all be pretentious. We've met all these sorts of people that aren't even in our denomination, that aren't even in church. Muslims, they are modest. I've seen people that are vegetarian that aren't even Christian, right? Even one of our, 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 our new friends that we met recently, Jap, he, he was, he was a, a vegetarian before he ever knew about Jesus, right? So all these things that we do can be pretentious. What's the dividing line between all of this? Do you know Jesus? Do you know God? 
And you know, why am I trying to say this? The foolish virgins seemingly do all the right things, but it's not because they know or love God, but they do it because it's just, they grew up that way, their friends were like that, or, you know, many different reasons. And the reason is not important, but the question that we need to know is, do you know God? Do you know God? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? And is that the motivating factor behind everything that you do? Let's continue. Signs of the Times, August 13, 1894, paragraph 6. Now is the time to look to it that we have on hand an abundant supply of the oil of the grace of Christ. It was the wisdom of the wise virgins in supplying themselves with oil that made the difference between their fate and that of the foolish who had neglected to keep oil in their vessels with their lamps. So we know that already, right? Um, extra abundant supply of oil of the Holy Spirit in our vessels. In the scripture, oil is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. The wise virgins are those who have faith and love and patience, whose experience day by day is nourished by the Holy Spirit. So yes, they have this experience of faith, love, and patience, right? But it says that their experience is what? It's a day-by-day -day experience, and it's nourished every day by the Holy Spirit. So friends, the experience of having extra oil in the vessel and not only in the lamp is connected with having a daily experience in faith and love. How often? Daily. I want you to keep this in mind. That word daily or day by day is very, very important. Let's keep going. And I, wanted, I broke this up. This is the same paragraph. So when I go to the next page, you're seeing this is a very long paragraph, but I broke it down into bite-sized portions. The first section, we saw what? Day-by-day day experience, right? With the Holy Spirit. Now, look at this. They do not conform to the world in careless inattention. They do not put off what? Their daily preparation, but follow Jesus wherever He leads the way. God is not pleased with a flickering faith. You know what is a flickering faith? On one moment, off the moment, next moment. Oh, you know, the light bulb that flickers, you gotta replace it. It goes on and off, on and off, on and off, right? It flickers on one day, off the next. On one day, off the next. On one day, off the next. That's a flickering experience. And he says, God is not pleased with a flickering faith. It is compared to a lamp that is going out. You see, it's as good as going out. He is pleased with those whose experience is like that of a lamp that is burning brightly. His followers are to shine as lights in the world. Christ's servants are to keep their lamps trimmed and burning that they may add their light to the light of others who are following Christ. Friends, we need this daily preparation. It's a daily work. And many of us seem content thinking that we're okay without realizing how deceptive sin is and then it just sweeps us away. That's the problem with the Laodicea in church, right? I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not. They are deceived. They are deceived about their condition. They think 
they're okay. They've become insensitive to sin. They've become deceived by sin. And so we end up having this flickering faith. And it's the same as a, really a lamp that goes out. We live righteously in spurts and then let go of God here and there. We're on and off, hot and cold. We're lukewarm at best. Why? We don't have this daily experience. Continuing, we're not done with this paragraph yet. Look at this, the, the, the reference is exactly the same. Now watch this. Those who are not daily desirous of gaining a living, daily experience. Let me say that again. Those who are not daily desirous of gaining a living daily experience in the things of God will not meet His approval but will be found with those whose lamps are going out and will not be prepared to go into the marriage supper of the Lamb. We cannot be ready to meet the Lord by waking up at the last minute when the cry is heard, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, gathering up our lamps from which the oil has burned away and thinking then to have them replenished. Friends, when the cry comes, it's too late already. What we need today is this daily living experience, daily desirous of things of God, the oil in the vessel, storing up the Holy Spirit in extra quantity is not found in taking a whole day off just to pray. No, friends, it's found in a daily experience, day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And we're still not done with this quote. But have you seen there so far, three sections, three paragraphs that I've shown you, even though it's the same paragraph, it's all about day by day, daily, work. Let's continue. Same quote. Our only hope is daily to love God. Do you see that? Our only hope is daily to love God, to love the truth, not for the sake of its clear arguments, but for truth's sake alone. We must bring the truth into our hearts and minds and every day be living shining lights, learning daily more and more of Jesus. Do you see that? All the bold there? Our hope is daily to love God. Every day be living shining lights, learning daily more and more of Jesus. Our conversation should be in heaven from whence we look for our Lord Jesus Christ. We should talk much of His coming. Then we shall be constantly receiving the grace which cometh from above, from the source of all spiritual power. Wow, we need this experience, friends, more than ever. We need the daily love of God. We need the daily love of the truth. This is a daily routine. We need every day to be living shining lights, every day learning daily more and more of Jesus. Friends, I want to remind you, this is not a relationship where, where God is desperate because He's all alone and by Himself. He's, he's not desperate in that sense. It's not like He's craving for our love because He's empty of love or oh, there's no one to love Him back. No, friends, He's surrounded even in heaven with the presence of billions and trillions of angels that love Him with all their hearts and millions of worlds out there that pay homage and love back to Him. No, He's not desperate for our love. God is not old and lonely, wishing someone would love Him back. Friends, He loves us. Yes, He does. But He wants us to love Him back for a very, very important reason. He knows what is for our best good. 
Now, let me show you this. This quote blew me away. I was, I have been listening to David Asherick on the, um, what do you call it, DA with DA. Um, it's on Facebook, I think, I, I'm not, I listen to it on YouTube, but he's been going through the book Desire of Ages. And this quote just struck me so strong that I just could not drop it. I had to work it into the sermon somehow. And this is where it fits. Look at the love of God. Look at this. The Desire of Ages, 57, paragraph 1. Having collected the riches of the universe and laid open the resources of infinite power, he gives them all into the hands of Christ and says, All these are for man. Use these gifts to convince him that there is no love greater than mine in earth or heaven. And look at what he writes here. His greatest happiness. Man's greatest happiness will be found in what? In loving me. Let me say that again. Look, God, He gives us all these blessings. He gives us nature and the world and all these things so that He can woo us. You know, if there's anybody that's, that knows how to woo a girl, that knows how to chase a girl, to be a lover, look at the Song of Solomon. It's Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, He is someone that chases after us relentlessly. He gives us all the blessings of earth and heaven just so that we could love Him. And He says what? His greatest happiness will be found in loving me. Friends, do you want to be the happiest person on earth? Do you want to know what it means to have pleasure and joy evermore? at your right hand, at your left hand, to, to have this sense of gratefulness and joy that exudes from you all the time, it's in loving Christ. He knows what is for our best. He knows how to give us the greatest happiness. It's not riches. It's not a relationship. It's not a promotion. It's not drugs. It's not traveling the world. It's not anything that we think in our human mind will make us happy. It's found in loving God. That's all it is. And so friends, why not give Him a chance? Why not give Him a try today? You will find pleasure evermore. You will find a peace that passes all understanding. You will see a God that's madly in love with you and that can satisfy the desires of all your heart. Our greatest happiness, not joy. You know, we always talk about happiness is not one of the, the fruits of the Spirit. Joy is, but not happiness. Do you know that? Human happiness is also found in loving God back. Wow, that is amazing. I've been really blessed by the DA with DA. I'm so thankful my brother recommended it to me. It is such a blessing to go through the Desire of Ages in great detail. You know, I've read that book several times. But to the extent that I'm learning it and how it's impacting me this time around, it's been amazing. But now coming back to the foolish virgins, friends, they don't understand the love of God. They're not having a daily experience in the things of God. They're not being daily sanctified. They're not daily growing. They're not daily praying. Let's continue reading. Signs of the Times, August 13, 1894, paragraph 2. The five foolish virgins represents the careless, indolent, self-satisfied professor of religion. They trust a feeling and neglect to search the scriptures, probably daily. 
They're not searching the scriptures daily. They are satisfied to walk in the sparks of their own kindling. They're careless. They have not the oil of grace in their vessels with their lamps. They are cherishing hidden sins which no human eye can see. And they know, and I put this in bold, I've highlighted a different color, I made it bigger because why? The Laodicean church know they know, we can know, and we know right now, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, as you're listening to the sermon, you can know whether you are pure or not, whether you are without spot or not. And they should diligently seek God that they may cleanse themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the sight of God. Friends, what am I trying to say here? We can know whether we are foolish virgins or not. We really aren't self-deceived. We can know whether we're cherishing hidden sins or not. We can know whether we're hiding from, from even our, our wife or our children or our spouse or our girlfriend, whoever it is. These people know that they are what? They are cherishing hidden sins which no human eye can see. They know that they're not pure. Friends, at the end of it, we're all miserable. We don't have that joy and happiness that God alone can give us. What needs to be our experience today, friends? If we are to store up the extra oil in the vessel, not in the lamp and keep it burning, but in the vessel as well, in our pouch, in the extra reserve, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How often? Daily. We need that experience in His Word and in prayer, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can be cleansed from all filthiness of the flesh and perfect holiness in the sight of God. Friends, what will it take to shake God's people awake today to our great need of preparing and storing up that extra oil, that Holy Spirit? What will it take to have our eyes open to the seriousness of the times that we're living in? What does God have to do to to shake us awake from our spiritual slumber. Friends, I want to encourage you to keep praying, to keep walking with God. I can't emphasize it enough because why? Many of us are not experiencing enough. We need a daily experience, a daily devotion. Every day we wake up, the battle is real. We've got to spend time with God. We've got to deny ourselves and push aside the flesh. We've got to kill that old man of sin. We've got to allow God to do the work that He needs to do in us to get us ready for the crisis that's coming ahead. News is telling us, nature is telling us, economics is telling us that we are on the verge of a stupendous crisis. And we need an experience that we do now do not have. And many of us are too lazy to obtain. Friends, Maybe some of you, you've been praying and you've been praying for a long time and you feel like God hasn't been answering our prayers. And maybe you feel like it's going nowhere and maybe you're at the point where you're thinking, what's the use, right? But I want to encourage you, friends. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Let's not get weary with doing the things that we know is good and right, even though our evangelism may seem like it doesn't turn out to be what we want. Why isn't our church exploding with praying? You know, many of us, we just think there's something wrong. There's something wrong. But friends, I want to encourage you to continue. And don't let anyone let you down like you're doing anything wrong if you are praying. Why? Let me show you this. Manuscript Release, Volume 1. This is taken from the reading of our 40 Days of Prayer. Look at this. 180 paragraph 2. This is 1MR, 180 paragraph 2. 
When the third angel's message shall go forth with a loud voice, the whole earth shall be lightened with his glory. The Holy Spirit is poured out upon his people. Look at this. The revenue of glory. Isn't that amazing? I just love it how she uses those words. The revenue of glory has been accumulating for this closing work of the third angel's message. It's been accumulating. The prayers that have been ascending for the fulfillment of the promise, the descent of the Holy Spirit, not one has been lost. Friends, in this past 40 days, as you've been praying, in this past 20 so far, as you've been praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and you feel like you haven't received it yet, not much you feel like has changed yet. You know, you're seeing God working here and there in pockets. I'm hearing praises. I've seen it myself in the first week we started praying. But it seems like, God, you've not poured out your latter rain. Don't lose hope. She says, the prayers that have been ascending, not one has been lost. God has been faithful. He hears. And look at this. Each prayer has been accumulating. Do you see that? She said in the previous sentences, the revenue of glory, right in the middle there, has been accumulating for this work. And then she says, each prayer has been accumulating, ready to overflow and pour forth a healing flood of heavenly influence and accumulated light all over the world. Friends, every prayer that we're praying today hasn't been lost. It hasn't been lost. Praise God, it is accumulating. Even though it may not have been answered yet, it has not been lost. And so friends, what are you doing today? Are you accumulating the Holy Spirit? Are you accumulating it into the vessel? As you pray, God hears that prayer. And though He may not answer it straight away, He puts it to the side, ready to be answered on a certain day. And as all God's people are praying, and we're praying, and it's accumulating, it's getting fuller and fuller, and it's filling up, even though sometimes we might fall asleep, like the wise virgins did, we still continue to pray. We still continue to come back. We still continue to strive with God in our relationship. We still continue to ask God, God help us. We still continue to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as we're praying, those prayers are accumulating. We're filling up our vessel. Do you see that? But how do we do it? Daily experience. Daily walking with Jesus. Daily surrender. Daily sanctification. Daily in His Word. Daily, every day, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, as we pray, as we spend time with Christ, as we deepen our relationship, as we look to the future and we're watching and we're waiting and we're praying, we are accumulating the Holy Spirit for the future. And we don't know when those prayers are going to be answered. We don't know. But I know it's close. But friends, we got to accumulate today. Too many of us, we are focused on accumulating riches on this earth. And we don't have time to store up treasures in heaven. And we don't have time to store up the extra oil in our vessel. But friends, what will it take for us to pray? Why is it so difficult for us to walk with Jesus every day? Why? Because the devil is hot on our tracks. He's doing all that he can to distract us, friends. 
But we we got to continue to persevere. Every day is a fresh battle. Every day we got to move forward with Jesus in our relationship with him. Oh, friends, what will it take to store up that extra oil? I pray that we would learn to accumulate, accumulate those prayers in heaven. And at the appointed time, mark my word, as God's word does not lie, he will pour out his spirit and he will make you a powerful witness. You see, the disciples, when they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, they weren't praying. They weren't accumulating for the crisis that was to come. They fell asleep. And today, God's people is in a sleeping condition. It's time to wake up, friends. It's time to pray. And there's nothing like being more zealous, praying for a Bible prophecy seminar, which you don't know what the outcome will be. You see, when you, when you pastor a church, you get kind of used to a certain number of people turning up your church. But when you're going to run a Bible prophecy seminar for 10 days, you don't know who's going to be there. And so you know what? You pray, you, you pray desperately. And you know when it doesn't work and no one's baptized or not many people come, you pray even harder. It's through these tools and this refining process. It's not that our prayers were useless, but God is saying, store up more. Because at the point of time, when the latter rain is poured out, and I'm going to make everybody my mouthpiece, then you'll preach and 3,000 will be baptized in one day. Then as you've been accumulating, just as the disciples were accumulating for 10 days in the upper room, it was only then the Holy Spirit was poured out. So friends, don't be disheartened when your evangelistic effort is not as successful as you expect it to be. Let's not be discouragers in all of this, but realize God's great plan. Let's keep accumulating. And though you might feel weary and disheartened, God hears and He will answer at the appropriate time. And so friends, every day, let's not be weary in well-doing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, please guide us. Help us to see that not even one single prayer that is sincere and earnest and honest is not lost, friends. Give us faith to see that. Help us to realize that. And help us, Lord, that we might learn day by day to accumulate even more into the storehouse of heaven. Because at the appointed time, Lord, you will pour out your blessing in such great abundance that the whole world will be filled with the glory of God. Father, please, today, sanctify us again. Where we've fallen short, forgive us and justify us, but sanctify us, live through us. Help us, Lord, to understand what it really means to have a relationship with you, that you might give us victory today, Victory over the personal sins, the secret sins that were hiding in our closets, behind closed doors. Give us that victory, Lord, because you are more than able. And help us to have true happiness in loving you as well. Lord, give us that daily experience today is my earnest plea and prayer. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.